Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak to the heart of Jerusalem and call out to her. Her warfare really is over. Her guilt is fully paid for. Yes, she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling out, In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. In the wasteland, make a level highway for our God. Every valley will be raised up, and every mountain and hill will be made low. The rugged ground will become level, and the rough places will become a plain. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh together will see it. Yes, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice was saying, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry out? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like a wildflower in the countryside. Grass withers, flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Yes, the people are grass. Grass withers, flowers fade. But the word of our God endures forever. Get up on a high mountain, O Zion, you herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, you herald of good news. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Look, God the Lord will come with strength, and his arm is ruling for him. Look, his reward is with him. The result of his work is in front of him. Like a shepherd, he will care for his flock. With his arm, he will gather the lambs. He will lift them up on his lap. He will gently lead the nursing mothers. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Do you like the kind of story that has big, dramatic, sudden turns in it? I hope you do. If you don't, this is going to be kind of a rough 15 minutes, because I got a story like that for you this morning. Actually, I got three stories like that. Three stories that all have big, sudden, dramatic turns in them, but they're also beautiful turns in these three stories. So here is the first story. Once, there was a king named Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the ruler of a fading little kingdom called Judah. And the army of the Assyrians surrounded Hezekiah's capital city of Jerusalem. And the Assyrians threatened and taunted and cursed King Hezekiah and all of the other people in that city. And it looked for all the world like Hezekiah and his kingdom were done for. And not just done for, but at the hands of the Assyrians who had a reputation for brutality, not just conquering people, but conquering them and completely wiping them off the face of the earth. But in the end, miraculously, the Lord saved King Hezekiah, his capital city, and his kingdom. A while later, Hezekiah became very ill, right up to the point of death. And the Lord sent his prophet Isaiah to Hezekiah to miraculously heal him of his illness. Now you might think, by this time in King Hezekiah's life, he would be learning a lesson. When you are in trouble and you need help, you should go to the Lord first and lean on him. King Hezekiah, however, like most sinners, was an amazingly slow learner. So he got up from his deathbed, fully healed, and King Hezekiah looked out to the east and he could see the Assyrians still out there. Regrouping, recovering, and getting ready to attack him again. 
And where do you think King Hezekiah went for help first? He went to an up-and-coming kingdom called Babylon, which was by now Assyria's most serious rival. He welcomed royal officials from Babylon into his palace, and he showed off the wealth and the power of Judah. It was his way of saying, hey, Babylon, if you want to take a shot at Assyria, if you want to try to knock them off, we can help because we still got a little muscle left here in Judah. And what was so bad about that? Nothing at all. On the surface, right, good kings are supposed to use their noggins and make useful alliances to protect their people. And King Hezekiah, he was the king of God's own chosen nation, so he had an extra sacred responsibility to do these kinds of smart things to protect his people. The problem wasn't that he made an alliance with Babylon. The problem was that he looked to that earthly kingdom for help before he went to the Lord. He looked to earthly power as his ultimate help instead of divine power, and that is what angered the Lord and his prophet Isaiah. So the Lord sent Isaiah to King Hezekiah with a message. He said, all right, smart guy. Paraphrasing roughly. He said, all right, smart guy. Here's what's going to happen. Because you trusted Babylon more than you trusted the Lord, even after the Lord rescued you from Assyria the first time and rescued you from death, here's what's going to happen. The country you're so worried about, Assyria, they're not going to get you. Their days are numbered. But you know who is going to conquer you? Babylon. The country you went to for help before you went to the Lord, they're going to be the ones to get you in the end. It's not going to happen today. It's not going to happen tomorrow. But someday, Babylon will conquer your kingdom of Judah. And amazingly, King Hezekiah was pleased by that news. Because he calculated that by the time Babylon would be strong enough to conquer his kingdom, he would be long dead and gone. So he wiped his brow and said, peace in my time. And if that phrase sounds familiar, it is because, amazingly, Neville Chamberlain roughly quoted it after he got back from appeasing the Nazis at Munich. Apparently oblivious to the original context of that quote, Chamberlain said, peace for our time. Peace in my time. Peace for our time. We know what that means. Death and destruction is coming right down the road. Peace in my time is great as long as you happen to live in my time. If you live later, look out. So, imagine now that you were living in that kingdom of Judah, let's say a generation after King Hezekiah died, and you read this story on the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, what else could you think other than, nice going, Hezekiah. You slime ball. You sold us out. And now we can look and we can see, yeah, now Babylon is the most powerful nation around. And they've got their sights set on us. And here, we come, here they come and we're dead meat. Now, I'm sorry for all that history if you don't like history. But in order to appreciate the giant turn that comes in this story, you do need that background information. Because it is from this point of the imminent and assured destruction of Jerusalem that the Lord inspires the prophet Isaiah to turn it all faster than a Camaro. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak to the heart of Jerusalem and call out to her. Her warfare really is over. Her guilt is fully paid for. Yes, she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Jerusalem's suffering one day would end, 
The Lord was going to come down and he was going to save the people of Judah from their exile in Babylon and bring them home again. The Lord promises here he himself is coming down to save them from the wilderness and the wasteland of exile. He is coming down himself to smooth out the road so that his people will be able to return home again. A voice is calling out, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. In the wasteland, make a level highway for our God. Every valley will be raised up and every mountain will be made low. The rugged ground will become level and the rough places will become a plain. Because after all, Babylonians are tough and they're scary. They are also mortal human beings and they are no match for the indestructible word of the Lord. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like a wildflower in the countryside. Grass withers, flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Yes, the people are grass. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. The Lord himself was coming down to rescue his people from mortal men, and for the Lord, this is a minimum effort operation. All the Lord has to do is breathe. All he has to do is breathe one word of destruction for his enemies and one word of salvation for his people. Now, unless you are a student of the Old Testament, that may be the first time or maybe the first time in a long time that you heard that story with that huge dramatic turn in it that the Lord inspired Isaiah to give to his broken-hearted people to comfort them while they were trapped there in exile. But that's just the first story in Isaiah chapter 40 with its first dramatic turn. There is a second story here with another major sudden turn because when Isaiah says flesh is grass and flesh fades away, he's not just talking about Babylonian flesh. He's talking about your flesh and mine too. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like a wildflower in the countryside. Yes, the people are grass. Grass withers, flowers fade. Now when God formed the first human flesh, when he made Adam out of the dust of the earth, he breathed into Adam his own breath, and he blessed Adam with his own divine image. And it was never God's intention to breathe death on Adam or any other member of the crown of his creation, any other human being. But when Adam fell into sin, death became the penalty. And death is still the wages of the sin and rebellion that we commit against God. All human flesh, all sinful flesh, fades away into death. That is the sick first half of the second story. But this story also has a sudden and lovely turn. But the word of our God endures forever. After Adam fell into sin, God spoke a word to him and to all of his descendants that was harsh. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. From now on, all flesh is grass. But before the Lord spoke that word, before he ever spoke that word, he spoke another word to Adam and the entire human race. He spoke a word promising salvation. And he actually addressed it directly to the enemy who had dragged Adam into sin and death. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head and you will crush his heel. 
That was the first promise of a Savior from withering sin and death. And because the word of the Lord stands forever, he repeated that promise down through the centuries, dozens of times, dozens of different ways, gradually revealing more and more information about who this Savior would be and what he would do. He repeated the promise all the way down to a wild man in the wilderness named John. A voice is calling out, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. In the wilderness, John the Baptist pointed to Jesus Christ and proclaimed him to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that is God's ultimate word of salvation that endures forever. Isaiah 40 is about a whole lot more than the Lord saving the people of Judah from exile in Babylon in 500 B.C. It is about the Lord saving all people, the entire human race, from the sin that causes us to wither away in death, saving us from eternal death in hell. Look, God the Lord will come with strength, and his arm is ruling for him. Look, his reward is with him. The result of his work is in front of him. Our Savior did occasionally, during his ministry, flex his divine muscles. He let his power and glory as the Son of God shine through in just little glimpses. He drove out legions of demons and healed diseases and even raised the dead. But Jesus' mightiest strength was always in his humility and in his service. His greatest strength is in his willingness to give up heaven and be, bo and be conceived in the womb of a virgin. Jesus' mightiest strength is in his service of absorbing insults and lies and punches and execution to take away the sin of the world. That is Jesus' true strength. And the result of it, Isaiah says, is a reward. The reward is our salvation. And I, Isaiah says the result is out in front of him. That means it's easy to see. If you look, you can't miss it. If you listen, you'll hear it. Look to Jesus' cross and hear the enduring word of salvation that he spoke. It is finished. So this is the second story with its second splendid turn in Isaiah chapter 40, that in sin, all human flesh withers away into death. But God has spoken and followed through on an enduring word of salvation all the way down to John the Baptist when Jesus took up his work, mighty in humility, to reward us with salvation. But there is still one more story in Isaiah chapter 40 with one more beautiful turn. And this third and final story is the story of repentance. That is a story that John the Baptist found in Isaiah chapter 40 when he preached in the wilderness. John the Baptist said, this Savior who is about to begin his work, he is not going to enter any heart that has mountains or valleys or any kind of rugged path. The only kind of heart that this Savior is going to enter is one that is smooth and straight, receiving him in faith. And you know, it wasn't just John the Baptist who said that. Jesus did too. His sermon theme at the beginning of his ministry was, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Now this story is very personal for you. You personally must repent. There is no such thing as repentance by proximity. You don't get credit for anybody else's repentance. It's each individual heart. And this is eternally important. Whether or not you repent is going to determine where you spend eternity. 
Jesus also said, unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now this story so far is totally scary. Because how could a sinful human heart like mine ever straighten itself out in repentance? How could a corrupt heart like mine ever look at its sin and see it not as, oh, some minor little foible that doesn't really need forgiving, or, you know, I do stuff wrong, but they're just little slip-ups, they don't hurt anybody, so I don't really need forgiveness. How could I ever look at my sin and see it as eternally damnable and then be sorry for it? And how could any heart that has mountains of pride ever recognize that without Jesus Christ, my spiritual situation is hopeless. No heart could ever do that. Which brings us to the beautiful turn in this third and final story. Every valley will be raised up, and every mountain and hill will be made low. The rugged ground will become level, and the rough places will become a plain. All of those verbs have one thing in common. They are all passive. And that is amazingly good news for sinful human beings. A, a heart cannot make itself repentant any more than a mountain can lower itself or a valley can raise itself up or a road can smooth itself out. It is work that must be done by someone else from the outside. And it is the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches the Holy Spirit works in our hearts the repentance that God demands. He uses the law, the commandments of God's word to show us our sins and make us sorry for them. And the Holy Spirit uses the good news of Jesus in word and water and supper to turn our hearts to Jesus in faith for the forgiveness of sins. And that's what repentance is. Did you know that even during this sermon today, you might not have felt anything you may not have even realized it was happening, but during this very sermon, especially when you were listening to that second story about your withering sin and God's enduring word of salvation, the Spirit was here, and he was working for you. He was working on your heart to renew and refresh your repentance. So this third story, the story of repentance, it also has this wonderful little epilogue. Like a shepherd... He will care for his flock. With his arm, he will gather the lambs. He will lift them up on his lap. He will gently lead the nursing mothers. You know, when Isaiah says the word of the Lord stands forever, we are entitled as God's people. And we really have a responsibility to take every last little bit of comfort that we can out of that statement. And that includes this. The word of God that endures forever is not just the Bible. It's not just the message of salvation that we find in the Bible. The word of God that endures forever is also our Savior Jesus. The Bible calls Jesus the word of God. So the word of God that stands through eternity isn't just the message of salvation. It's also the one who does the saving, Jesus Christ. That means Jesus still lives. And he lives to love you every day. He lives to be your eternal good shepherd. He has brought you into his own flock with his own arm. He is holding you in his lap and he is leading you through the trouble of this world to the peace of heaven. So the story of your repentance worked and maintained in your heart by the Holy Spirit 
That is also the story of your good shepherd Jesus leading you and loving you every day until the end of days. Amen.